Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. And if you are taking notes, the title of my message today is Secret Chalupas. See, one person's real excited. Secret Chalupas, which also just sounds like a fun password, right? Like if you're going to start, if somebody's thinking about starting a club, make the password Secret Chalupas, because it'll just make me, it's just fun to say. Um, what's the password? Secret Chalupas. Let them come in. Let them come in. So I, there was this thing that happened to me, uh, it was like my freshman-ish year of, it all blurs together, in college. And um, there's this girl that I was dating back home before I came to college. And did anybody else do this thing? You had a high school sweetheart, right? And you were just like, we're going to be together forever. This distance won't come between us. And then a month in, you're like, I was deluded, right? This is not going to work out. And um, I just... I knew I needed to call and or have a, a hard conversation. And I was like, you know, seven hours away where I went to school and I was dreading it because I liked her and I didn't want to hurt her feelings and I felt bad and my family liked her and our families liked each other and she was really cool, but it was just like, this is not the, the relationship for me. And I had talked to my roommate about it and I'm like, I'm going to do it. And I kept doing this thing where I would be like, I'm going to do it. But then like, I, I didn't want to have the confrontation because it would make me feel sick to my stomach. And so I kept like putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. No one here has ever done this before. Right. Um, and so one, one, he finally pinned me down. He's like, you're going to do it. This is the, this is the day. And I'm like, this is the day. And I was like, as soon as I get off work, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to drive straight home and I'm going to, I'm going to call her. And it's, that's what's, it's, that's what's going to be. We're going to do it. And, um, and I got off work and I, I, I knew it was coming and I started feeling so sick to my stomach. And instead of coming back to our apartment, I, I went to Taco Bell is what I did. And I went to the drive-thru of Taco Bell and it was right around the time. I mean, some of you chulupas have been around forever. This was not always a menu item. And I was really excited about it. And they had like this special. And I was just like, man, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to do this. I'm nervous about it. And you know what will fix the, like the angst inside of me? Chalupa fest. And, and so I, I, I pulled in and you know, they always have those like packs of just like 45 burritos for $20. And you're like, who buys that? This guy, this guy buys those deals. Uh, he buys family packs, and then they're just like, enjoy with your family. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, family. And it's just me in my car, right? So I got like a 12-pack of chalupas, which I'm eating in my car and thinking about the fact that I need to call this girl, but I don't want to. And I'm kind of like half crying a little bit and eating chalupas and driving. There's a lot going on. Probably listening to like really sad Radiohead. It's, it was a lot, you guys. There's a lot happening. I pull up, I get, I crush out these 12, and they're big, okay? I think this is actual size. Like, they're huge. And I ate all these chalupas. I felt totally sick at, right at, like, immediately afterwards. I'm like, you ever in the middle of something, you're just like, this is a huge mistake. You know what I mean? Like, you're in the middle of it, and you're already regretting the thing that you're still in the process. Of. It doesn't even make any sense. And yet, there's cheese baked on the crust. So I just kept going, right? I'm like, I'm not a quitter, America. And I just kept doing it. And I ate all these and like, and I went inside and I like just collapsed, right? Because I'm so exhausted. And I wake up in the morning and my roommate is standing over my bed and he looks so angry. And he's like, did you call her? And I was like, 
yeah, man. <laughs> and he's like, did you really call her or did you just go to Taco Bell? And I was like, what? That's crazy. And in my head, I'm like, I'm like looking around for signs. I'm like, how does he even know this? He's like, did you seriously, don't lie to me, man. Did you call her and work this thing out? Or did you just go to, you know, Taco Bell and order 12 chalupas and eat them in your car while you were crying? And now I'm like, now this is sounding really suspicious. Like, how does he even pick out? But I'm, I'm telling myself, 12 is a common number, right? It's like a dozen. It's how many disciples there are. Maybe he just pulled it out of the air and it's happenstance. And I'm like, no. And then he's just like, you're lying to me. And he pulls his hand from out behind his back. He has all the wrappers from the floorboard of my car and he just throws them at me. And I'm like, ah, and it's like raining chalupa, you know, wrappers. And I'm like, I failed. And he's just like, you need to call her today. And he's like, do you feel better? And I'm like, I feel dirty. You know what I mean? It was wrong. It was not great. You know what I mean? I, I did try to do this thing and it just, it backfired. And I still had to call her and it still sucked, you guys. It was still horrible. She cried real hard and I did not feel proud of myself. And I might have gotten chalupas that day too. And so I don't want to talk about it. And I bring this up because we, I think we all have these moments, right? And what do you tell yourself when something goes sideways in your life and then it's not going great and so you do something to make yourself feel better? Uh, I always tell myself like, man, I know this isn't the best thing for me, but I deserve it. I deserve it because it's been a hard day, okay? It's been a hard season. It's been a hard two and a half years, however back I need to go, right? I just, I can justify it. And I think this is our rationale a lot of times, right? It's not bad to do something bad to feel good when things are, aren't going good. You ever told yourself this before? I know this is bad, but here's the thing, self. It's not bad to do something bad to feel good when things aren't going good. And why do we do this? Because it kind of works. I mean, temporarily, right? It works. Because if it wasn't enjoyable on some level, we wouldn't do it at all. But the consequence of these sorts of moments are that some forms of pleasure that are enjoyable in the moment seem to make us even unhappier in the long run. And often we sit in the aftermath of pursuing pleasure and ending up less happy and being confused because a lot of times we conflate the two things. We equate happiness and pleasure, but they're not the same thing at all. In fact, I wanna just give you a working definition of both these things so that you can sort of peel them apart in your own mind. Pleasure is essentially a momentary spike of physical or emotional enjoyment, right? It is short-term, it's often something that is addictive, and it's usually self-focused, right? Uh, it primarily, if you're talking about brain chemistry, works on dopamine, that thing that's just like, that was enjoyable and exciting, we should try that again, right? And you find yourself going back to that thing over and over again to get that little hit. Happiness is something else altogether. Happiness is this, as we talked about last week, this overall sense of holistic satisfaction with your life. It's long-term, not short-term. It's additive, not addictive. And it's relationally focused or communally focused, not self-focused. And it works on the brain chemical serotonin. It's that chemical that gets released in your brain that sort of makes you feel connected and at peace and um, makes you feel like a part of something bigger than yourself. Those things are the things that we often identify as happiness. So these things are not the same thing. And in fact, one can sometimes get in the way of the other. Like 
this is, this is, this is the, the, even before we can go further, I, sh- I just need to say like, pleasure is not bad, okay? Um, in fact, God created it. He created you for it and he wants you to experience it. Um, and so we need to start there. But the problem is pursuing pleasure uh, to the extent that it sabotages our happiness. And that is something that God is not for. Um, but we all know people who do this, right? We all know people who are experiencing a lot of pleasure. They're doing all the things they could ever want to do and they are not happy because it's not the same thing. And usually our reaction in the middle of that moment when it's us who's pursuing pleasure but not experiencing happiness is we're just like, why isn't, I know what it is. I just need to do more, right? How much are 13 chalupas? You know what I mean? And we just like, we go all into the thing. We're like, I need to do more of it, more often of it. Maybe that's the thing that's off. And whatever that thing is for you, because it's not the same thing for all of us, but maybe it's at the top of your mind. If you don't know it, the person next to you probably does, right? Don't say it out loud or nudge them. It's going to get weird, right? But we all have something, right? Some of us, you know, we, when we're in that desperate place, we eat, we, we rely on shopping or drinking or smoking or binge watching or playing video games forever or just scrolling on our phone for 17 hours, right? Whatever that thing is for you that you try and do to feel happy. And yet there's regret often on the back end of it because we know it's not good for us. It's just pleasure devoid of happiness. And all the things that are bad for us aren't bad for all of us in the same way for the same reasons. And so when we're combing over our life, sometimes it takes a little bit to sort out why this thing isn't working for us at this given moment. Um, Some things are unhealthy for us uh, just categorically, right? It's just something that is inherently self-destructive. Like we lean into it to try and feel a little bit better, but it's just, it's not a great thing overall, right? It's like something doesn't go right. And so we commit aggravated assault. Not good, right? That is categorically, it's just never right, right? We're just like, I'm unhappy. I'm going to go to a prostitute, right? Like that's not a good thing, okay? These things are inherently self-destructive in this category. But not everything that's bad for us is bad for that reason. Some things aren't bad categorically. They're just bad excessively, right? They're bad because it's too much of a good thing, right? One chalupa, arguably okay, right? Um, if you're talking to my trainer, never okay. But like, I'm gonna say one, right? But when you're like binging on this thing, it's too much, right? A little bit of sugar, great. A lot of sugar, too much. Like one Netflix show after work, maybe great. Uh, three straight days when you're supposed to be doing something else, not okay, right? And yet we, we can move into things where the issue with it is that we're, we're overusing it, right? Um, but not everything is, is unhealthy because categorically or excessively, sometimes it's, it's unhealthy contextually, right? It's just not appropriate for the time, place, or season that you're in, right? It's by itself, it's probably fine, but under these circumstances, it's not. And we probably all have that friend who's like, they just are really active and energetic and they like, they wanted to go out like four nights a week, you know, and just dance and hang out. And it was pretty innocent. And that was great when they were single. And now they've got seven children at home, right? It's like four nights, maybe a lot. Okay. I don't know. I think maybe you're avoiding your, your kids. Um, and they don't even know they have seven, right? And you're like, that's a, that's a warning sign. That's not good. Okay. Maybe throttle it back just a little bit. But I would say like whatever category it falls in and whatever it, it is for you, whatever like bad thing you do to feel good when things are bad is likely an act of avoidance. 
it's a way of, of trying to distract yourself from the fact that life is not going the way you want it to. It's likely the, the reality for you is that like inside, you know, you, you feel discouraged or disappointed or hurt or stuck or lost, but you don't know how to deal with that. And so what a lot of us do is we pursue external pleasure to avoid addressing existential panic, right? We don't wanna have to actually sit with our feelings and analyze what we're doing and, and why things aren't going well and actually have to face some of those issues. And so we're just like, what can I do to feel good right now? And sometimes we do these things because of a specific incident. And sometimes we just do it because of general disappointment, right? Sometimes you eat like a whole carton of Ben and Jerry's late at night because it was just a horrible day at work or with the kids. And sometimes you do that same thing. Everything is fine with the kids, but you've just been unhappy in your marriage for a while. It's not a specific incident. It's just the sort of the state of things that you're not really sure what to do. And here's why that doesn't work, because it never ends up addressing the underlying issue. It just numbs you momentarily. And usually in a way that takes you further away from the kind of person that you actually want to be, that you're made to be. And that's why it makes us unhappier. Because here's the reality. And if you take nothing else away, I hope you grab hold of this this morning. Unhappiness is a byproduct of who you are being out of alignment with how you live. Having a sense that this is who I am, this is who God made me to be, this is what God has called me to, and yet I, I, I believe that, but I don't really behave that way. And even when we're not consciously aware of it, we can feel that there is this misalignment inside of us and it throws us off. Life doesn't feel right. And maybe you're thinking like, man, if I was just more spiritual, I wouldn't struggle with this you know? And that's an interesting thought. I mean, it's not true. Uh, in fact, I would say probably one of the most spiritual people who's ever existed, this guy who wrote the majority of the New Testament, right? Uh, the Apostle Paul, he talks about at length, like struggling with the same exact thing of feeling unhappy because like who he really is, isn't consistent at all times with how he chooses to live. Let me just read you exactly what he says. It's in Romans uh, chapter seven, verse 15, he says, I don't really understand myself for what I wanna do is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I wanna do what is good, but I don't. I don't wanna do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. You've been there, right? It is, it is maddening. Like we've all had these moments where we find ourselves sort of caught in this cycle of coping that isn't exactly working. And it's making you feel like less of who you really are in the process. You end up feeling worse about you and about it, and you don't know how to stop. And this is one of the, the worst places to find yourself in life because it is a happiness drain. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I want to spend the rest of our time sort of painting a picture of like how this sort of thing can happen and how quickly it can spiral and really how destructive it can be. It doesn't sound like a fun time. Um, and I, I wanna go to this uh, story in this Old Testament that begins with a really interesting prophecy. God making a promise to a woman who's desperate to get pregnant. And, and this is what it says. It's in the book of Judges, which is in the Old Testament. 
And it says this, this is like the voice of God talking. He says that you're gonna, you will become pregnant and you'll give birth to a son and his hair must never be cut for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He'll begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. And when her son was born, she named him Samson and the Lord blessed him as he grew. So a mom is promised a miracle baby who is going to grow up and save an entire nation. No pressure, right? Like, I I wonder how it felt to grow up with the hopes of an entire people group stacked on your shoulders. Like, in addition to that, he was a Nazarite, which is, you know, this expansive set of sort of as a spiritual order, which had all these rules and regulations to it. One was you couldn't cut your hair. One was that you could, like, never touch dead bodies. And it went on and on. And some of you are like, that's a deal breaker, okay? I love touching dead bodies, okay? So not for me, right? There are all these rules that really kept you focused on, on serving God and prioritizing who God was. And he had to grow up, like, living in this specific way that he didn't really choose. It was kind of chosen for him, which would have felt like a lot too. And yet as he grows up, it's evident that God is with him, that God has blessed him, that he has like, you know, some manner of natural giftedness and that like he's gotten some early success. And of course that just builds people's expectations of him even higher and higher that he's going to be able to do incredible things. And when I think about that, I just think like that is a lot to put on a little boy. And I wonder, I wonder if you've ever had what felt like the hopes of someone else sitting on your shoulders. Maybe for you as a parent or it was your whole family or it was a team or it was an entire organization. And the reality of the situation was they needed you. They were depending on you. They were counting on you. So you better not screw up. That's a lot. And some of us grew up feeling that way. And I wonder if, if Samson ever felt like he had to always be on, like he could never have a day off, like he'd never let his guard down, like he could never show weakness, like he always had to have all of the answers to everything, like he had to live up at every possible moment to this prophecy that was made about him before he was even born. And, and I tell you this because I think some of us develop unhealthy coping mechanisms because things are going really bad. And others of us, we develop these things because of the pressure to always be good. Like for some of us, it's just like, man, things are tanking in my life. And for those of us, it's like, I can never, ever, ever admit what's really going on with me. And I don't know how to handle that. I don't know if I can do what's expected. I don't know if I can carry the weight. Now, now, I want to back up for a minute because maybe some of you are like, what is a coping mechanism? Because you keep saying that, that phrase, and we don't know what that means. And uh, essentially, a coping mechanism is anything people do to try and alleviate suffering, stress, or sadness, right? And this could be a good thing or a bad thing. It could be a helpful thing or not, or a, a healthy thing or not. Um, we all have these things, and they're not all bad, um, like, for instance, let me give you an example of one in each category. Let's say, for instance, that you had, uh, like, just a, the worst day ever, right? And, and sort of at the end of the day, you're just like, this is the most stressful day ever. And so I, that's why I had to, like, 
just go home and like put on sweatpants and like breathe deeply. And I just, I prayed and I did some journaling about what's going on inside of me. And then I, I, I went for a run and I was just trying to sort of calm myself down, right? Now, let's say you had the exact same day. That'd be one way of coping. You're the exact same day and you're just like, man, this was a very stressful day, which is why I drained my kid's college fund, bought heroin under a bridge, and shot up in an abandoned car, right? That's maybe not so great, okay? Both of them uh, coping mechanisms. One maybe a little bit darker, a little bit unhealthier than the other one. And I can only judge by your silence that many of you have done this. Well, not responding really backfired for you guys there. Right, like, like there's a big difference between these two things. And as Samson's story progresses, Samson starts to show signs that, you know, he's starting to crack under the pressure and he grasps for ways to cope and the methods that he uses go from bad to like even worse. And he basically just sort of pursues anything that he thinks is gonna make him feel better in the moment. And if it doesn't work out for him or it doesn't come easy to him, he sort of flips out. He demands his own way and he, you know, he copes in even more destructive ways. And I want to just, like, this is a big story, but I want to just give you a couple of drop-in moments to show you what I'm talking about, to, to illustrate this. And you can go and read this story all afternoon if you'd like to, to get the rest of it. Judges chapter 14, verse 1 says this. One day, when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. And when he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. What a bold thing to do, right? Can you imagine if one of your kids came home and was like, she's pretty, get her for me, right? And you'd just be like, it ain't gonna happen, buddy, right? It's crazy, right? This is a little bit of a crazy story. Like Samson is convinced that this girl, by the way, he has never spoken to her, doesn't know anything about her other than he saw her from a distance and she appeared to be hot, right? And he's like, if I can marry her, I will be happy. Meanwhile, she doesn't love him and she's, a, you know, a Philistine and so her family is all trying to kill him. So a few red flags, okay, in this relationship that he really wants to pursue, but he doesn't care. He just wants what he wants. He demands it. In fact, he tells himself, I deserve it because my life is hard because there's a lot of weight on my shoulders, because there's a lot of expectations on my back, because I have to do things that I did not choose for myself. And it's difficult. So this, this thing is okay. And it's a horrible idea, but his parents are, you know, they're definitely enablers. And so they just go get this girl for him. They set up the marriage and the wedding starts to happen. And there's this elaborate exchange in which her family embarrasses him and sort of entrap him in this weird way through like tricks and lying. And now he owes them money and he's really frustrated and he's like embarrassed and sort of emasculated. And so this is his like really proportionate, like making sense response. Judges chapter 14, verse 19 says this. He went down to the town of Ashkelon, killed 30 men, took their belongings and gave their clothing to the men he owed. Samson was furious about what had happened, like what they did, how they embarrassed him. And so he went back home to live with his father and mother. It kind of peters out at the end, right? Are you like me and you sort of read that and you're just like, he showed them. Oh, you got him, Samson. Nothing says in your face, you shouldn't have messed with me. Like I am I'm going, I'm going home to mom. And that's what he does. He like literally moves. He doesn't go back to the wedding. He does not go back and get his wife. She's just there by herself, dancing, eating cake by herself. He's at home pouting, sulking, ruminating, being more and more angry with his mom. She's probably baking him cookies. 
And then later on, he's just like, you know what? I probably should go see what my wife is doing. Um, and this is like a season later. It's like harvest time. So it's like quite some time later. And it says this, Judges chapter 15, verse one says this. Later on, Samson took a young goat as a present to his wife, as you do. And he said, I'm going into my wife's room to sleep with her, as you do. <laughs> but her father wouldn't let him. I truly thought you must hate her. I wonder why he thought that. Because you disappeared for six months. And so I, obviously this is logical too, I gave her in marriage to your best man. And then Samson said, this time I cannot be blamed for everything I'm gonna do to you. And so he attacked the Philistines with great fury and he killed many of them. And then he went to live in a cave. This is the most like, like immature, overreactionary stuff you can think of. Have you ever done this though? Have you ever done the thing where like someone does something and you're just not happy and you don't like it and you're just like, well, that is it. If you're gonna do that, you know what? I cannot be held responsible for what I'm gonna do. Which is not true. It's just saying like, I don't wanna be held responsible for what I'm gonna do, but I'm gonna try and do it anyway and blame you for my poor decisions, right? And there's so much going on here. Like Samson's story is so expansive. But the reason I, I wanted to highlight these three snippets is that I think it's enough to, to get to zero in on this pattern that he repeats over and over and over again in his life. And it's, and it's essentially this. He gets into a situation where he feels overwhelmed. And so he responds by coping with something unhealthy. And then uh, if anyone calls him out on it or gets in his way, he angrily overreacts and he freaks out on them. Then after that happens, he has a little bit of regret. And so he isolates in shame and anger. And then while he's by himself, right, he's ruminating on everything that happened and he spirals further. And then he repeats the cycle from his cave. Like when you look at this, is there anything that feels familiar about it? I point this out because this is what I wonder. What if this is less about Samson and more just about what it is to be human. I wonder if you were honest with yourself, if this is like a little bit your pattern. Like we love to look back through the hallways of history and say like, man, they were crazy. They did some weird stuff, right? And it's like, I mean, if you distill it down to its essence, like we do some weird stuff. These are often the choices that we make. And isn't this cycle, this thing that you do with whatever unhealthy thing that you are coping with in the moment, isn't the fact that you are stuck in this thing, isn't that a big part of why you are not happy? Because you are coping in unhelpful ways. You're doing things to try and feel better that are really just making everything worse. There's this uh, other verse in the New Testament by the same guy who said the other thing, right? I mean, I'm telling you, he really wrote a lot of the New Testament. And he writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. He's like, listen, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial, right? Sometimes you can even, like, even though you're making excuses, you can sort of sense that that thing is not a great thing for you. Maybe it's like categorically, right? Maybe just like, because like you're doing it excessively and maybe it's whatever the other one was that I can't remember right now. No, I'm just kidding. But we find ourselves in this same sort of cycle as he did. 
And I wonder if like the coping mechanism that you know is robbing you of your happiness. I wonder if you find yourself rationalizing in the same way, like it's not that big a deal. It's not technically wrong. It's not illegal. I mean, not in this state, you know what I mean? Like it's, I can do it if I want to. And here's the reality, you can. You can do what you want to, but everything has a cost. And I wonder what it's costing you. And I wonder if that thing is some level of happiness and wholeness. There's this other line from the same exact guy. He writes this other letter to the Galatians. And um, to the church there, he says this. He says, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Now, this, this word flesh is like a churchy term that basically means your natural animalistic drive for self-gratification, okay? And essentially what he is saying here is, come on, like when you got to that place where you realized you had agency and you could kind of do whatever you wanted to, it was tempting to take it too far, wasn't it? And you probably did because most of us do. That's what we do. It's a very human thing. We chase whatever we think is gonna make us happy in the moment, and then we end up being trapped by it. And then he switched gears and says, like, but here, here's the thing. Here's the good news. Like, there is an anecdote to self-destructive coping, and it has a lot to do with service, humility, that grow from love. Now, I want to break down what, what these ideas mean, because if this is a possible anecdote to what we, the loops we find ourselves in, then, then how do we do them, and what do they actually represent. What is humility? I think humility looks like vulnerably admitting to a safe circle of people around you what's really going on with you. There's this, um, there's this quote that gets thrown around a lot in AA that, is, that goes, you are only as sick as your secrets, right? It's this idea that like you are never going to get better. You're never going to get out of the loop you cannot save yourself. Like, it's not until you begin to come to grips and admit to yourself and the people around you that, like, I'm in over my head that I need help. I have a weakness. Things are not going right. This is how I'm really feeling, how I'm really doing. These are the things that I've been doing that I don't want to tell you. These are the ways I've been coping. And Samson doesn't ever really do this. He numbs out, he acts out, he hides in caves. Not super productive or helpful. In fact, they just help him spiral further. And I'm telling you, this is important to underscore because having the right community around you prevents you from indulging in things that will destroy you, which is why we isolate when we just want to keep doing what we're doing that isn't even working. But we need the thing that Samson never really put around him, people that will listen to us and validate us and encourage us and build us up and challenge us and help us develop healthier habits. And then, of course, in this passage, we're, we're told to lean into service. And what does that mean? Service looks like straining to see through someone else's eyes and sacrificing to improve their situation. Oftentimes, like, in a, in a clinical setting, a counselor will suggest to someone who is suffering from anxiety or depression to 
take some baby steps to find a way to serve someone else on a regular basis. And why do they do that? Because lasting sadness is connected to prolonged self-focus, right? In, in other words, like the more you obsess over your own happiness, the more it eludes you. And Samson is a really good example of this. Like he's so preoccupied with what he wants and what he thinks he deserves and how he's feeling and what's not working out for him in the moment that there's no room for him to really consider or care about other people. He occasionally does things that help other people, but when you read through his story, it's mostly by accident. Like he's mostly just doing what he wants to do. And then it was like, oh, that kind of like bonus helped them. You guys are welcome, right? And yet he destroyed a lot of other people in the process. And this happens because when we're overwhelmed with emotion, we do the same thing he does. We, we, we try and make things better in ways that make them worse. But I gotta tell you, emotion is not the problem because emotions are just information, right? It's how you respond to them that determines the direction your life moves in. And it makes me think of something else that um, the Apostle Paul again writes in a totally different location, right? Ephesians chapter four, verse 26, he says this, don't sin by letting anger control you. Now this is relevant because obviously you can look at Samson's life. He does a lot of really crazy things and hurts and kills a lot of people. He's angry, he's a rageaholic, he's very violent. And so like he would do good to like lean into this thing. But what this is essentially telling us is that like in this, in this setting, like anger is not the problem. Allowing it to control you and what you do and how you cope is. And I bring this up because I think that this principle is, is still true about virtually every emotional state. And I just wonder this morning, what makes most sense for you to fill in that blank? Maybe it is anger, but maybe it's something else. Maybe for you, maybe for you, the advice looks like, listen, don't sin by letting your disappointment control you. Don't sin by letting your insecurity control you. Don't sin by letting your anxiety or your fear control you. Don't let those things dictate what you do and who you become because you will eventually find yourself coping in ways that take you away from the person that you wanna be. And so other than practicing humility and, and service, how do we keep this stuff from controlling us? Well, we cope. And some of you are confused because you're just like, what? I thought you said that was bad. Um, but not all coping is bad. In fact, there are two beneficial types of coping and we really need both of them. One is what's called action-focused coping, right? And this is about solving a problem, right? This is where we, something's not going right. And we sit down, we try and gain clarity. We brainstorm solutions. We choose one and we get busy enacting that thing, right? We move forward on that path. Because we're like, man, this thing that is unsettling, that's caused me to feel all these ways, like it's because there's something that needs to be done and I need to take those steps to do that thing. And the, the, other, the other type that is another form of healthy coping is uh, emotion-focused coping, right? Which is about solving a problem because there are some things that, um, that cannot be fixed or solved by you at this moment. And so this has to do with strategies that we develop to sort of help ourselves deal with an unchangeable situation, right? You may be frustrated about something that you don't really have any control or influence over. And so uh, there's something you're gonna need to do to sort of deal with the emotions of that thing because there's not really much action that you can take that would be productive in this situation. 
Like this is where we might, you know, exercise or connect with a friend or, you know, go and, and get therapy or we may, you know, uh, we pray or breathe or journal or whatever these things might be that help us particularly. But I got to tell you, like, if you want to be happy, you need to do both of these things. And this is why I would suggest to you to lean into relationships that help you do um, and address the thing that you typically ignore. ignore. Because uh, all of us tend to lean in one direction or the other. And we fill the gaps in the thing that we don't do well with things that are unhealthy and unhelpful. Like some of us are very action focused. We're like feelings, what are those, right? Like I'm gonna solve this problem. I'm gonna fix it. I'm gonna make it go forward. Like we draft a plan and we move forward and we just march in and we're gonna do stuff, Right? And, and sometimes that really helps because it, there, there actually is something that needs to be done. There is a plan that needs to be made. And yet there's this whole emotional side of us that we completely ignore and we keep stuffing it down and, and, and it keeps trying to come up and we keep trying to ignore it and, and, and it's mutating and it's causing us to do things and say things and become things that are not really us. And others of us, we're the opposite, right? We're like real good at focusing on our emotions. We're like, I feel all the feels all the time. And I just, I, I love processing my emotions and just listening to all the therapy podcasts. And I love, me and my therapist, we're down to just four times a week and I, I am loving it. And just, I like talking it out and just like, and do it and then like a good cry. And then I watch a movie about the subject and then I cry about that and whatever. And it's like, and I feel like I understand where, what, like what's going on and I, I have that managed. And it's actually, I, you know, I feel like I've wrapped my head around it. It's like, that's so great. Like what, what action steps are you going to take to like, like move this situation forward in your life? Oh, I, I haven't done any of that. I don't, I don't know. I have no clue, right? Because we, we haven't actually, we've dealt with the one side, but not the other. And so there's this whole grouping of things. Like something needs to be done. A decision needs to be made. Steps need to be taken. And yet we're frozen. And so instead of that, like the situation deteriorates even further. And I bring this up because I, I really believe that happiness comes from acknowledging and accepting your emotions while acting on your values. To feel those things, to reflect, to acknowledge, to accept them, and then to, to like, don't let those things control you. But to actually choose to live according to the way God made you. Like happiness comes from doing the right thing over feeling the right way from living in alignment with our values as opposed to medicating according to our moods. And the thing I think is most sad about the Samson story is that he, he never really masters this. And eventually his, his self-destructive coping mechanisms catch up with him and they destroy him. And he died really unhappy because who he was was almost always out of alignment with how he lived. Like, think about it. He, he was destined by God to save Israel, but when he was overwhelmed and, and when life was too much for him and when he had all this stuff bubbling up inside of him that he didn't know what to do with, you know what he never did except for like on, with his last breath, he, he never called out to God in prayer. He never looked to scripture for wisdom. He never went to the tabernacle to worship or to give or to talk to a spiritual mentor and gather advice. And instead, he just, he just coped in unhealthy ways, wanting to believe. 
he could still be happy. These things would have helped him. I think they would help you too. And I, I think they're even more abrasive when, when we go back and revisit this verse that we've been bringing up again and again during this series. Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven. I'll just read you a couple of snippets from this. Don't worry about anything. It said, pray about everything. And then you will experience God's peace. And I, I think one of the big flaws for Samson is that Samson tried to access God's peace without God. It doesn't work because you can't get something only God can give from anything other than God. And I want you to think about that because I think in, in your soul, you already know that's true because you have tried it and it does not work. I mean, you're free. You can do whatever you want to do. But everything you do has a cost to you. Like you can stick with the, with the secret chalupa strategy. It's never going to be what you need it to be. Whatever that thing is for you. And I know you were probably trying to do the same thing Samson did. You're trying to hide it, pretend it's not real. Isolate, pull yourself away, not ever want to admit it. I'm telling you, humility and service are the way forward. And those things are only really accessible when we grab hold of the love of God. And that's what I want to challenge you to today. I think God put you in this place this morning for some of you because there is something, there is a cycle that you are caught up in and it is robbing you of your happiness and God wants to help you break free. And there is a big piece that he's gonna have to do because you've already tried and it doesn't work. But you're gonna have to do something too. You're gonna have to surrender it. You're gonna have to admit it. You're gonna have to bring it out in the open. You're gonna have to let it go and you're gonna have to move in a different direction and it is going to be difficult. But your happiness is on the line. And you can't find the kind of peace that God wants to give you without going through him to get it. Would you bow your head across this, this room as we pray? And, and before I do, I just, just for the sake of focus and just respect of other people, if you just close your eyes in this moment, and I want to just ask this question of you. I wonder how many of you would just on a gut level, just admit to me so that I can pray specifically for you. I'm not gonna call you out or embarrass you in any way. You just, you're at a place where you have been trying a lot of different things to try and cope and feel better and fix like the, the broken parts of your life that you don't know how to sort of juggle or handle. And you've been avoiding coming to God because there's a little spike of pleasure, but it is robbing you of all the happiness. And you feel this sense that God is saying, like, you need to let that go. I want to step in and set you free. And, and, and today is the beginning of that journey for you. And if that's you, I, I want you just to respond by just raising your hand so I can pray specifically for you today. Because I, I believe that just the first response of like humility and bringing it out in the open, even just privately to one pastor is the beginning of something new. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up?
I gotta tell you, because your, your eyes are closed, you're being respectful. It's a lot of people. And as I give voice to our prayers, would you just pray along in your heart that God would help you and the people around you to move in his direction. God, we, um, we come before you this morning and we acknowledge that you are bigger than us, that you are smarter than us, that you created us, that you have the answers that we are searching for, that you see every heart in this place. You know the things that we struggle with. You know the, the walls we keep running into in our own life, the things that we keep reaching out for, hoping that like we're gonna get enough of a, of a boost of pleasure to stop feeling miserable. And we keep digging the hole deeper. We keep hurting ourselves more. And now there's a ripple effect. Now more people are being affected. Now we, we can't hide it. Now it is, it, is, it is unhideable. And it is wreaking havoc in our lives. And we feel trapped because we need you to release us from the bondage that we are in to this thing that told us lies it could not deliver on. And God, I pray that you would begin the process of releasing people and setting them free from coping mechanisms that are sucking the joy from their existence. God, as they lean into you, as they trust you, as they draw up the courage to confess to Christian community around them, as they take baby steps towards better coping mechanisms that rely on you, God, I pray that you would leak into their lives this steady stream of your joy, of your hope, of your peace, and you would begin to heal them from the inside out. May it be true in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.